1: detective may not be suitable for all audiences.
2: That longing for my mother, I don't know that I've ever found anything that relieved that until I started working in cases like this. The motivations, the reasons why, it's just crystal clear. The only thing left is his rage. It wasn't difficult for me to understand what happened. I knew the whole anatomy of the murder. The questions I had were, why did the system fail so miserably?
1: That's Detective Rod Demery talking about the murder of his mother. Detective Demery investigated over 250 cases during his time as a homicide detective in Shreveport, Louisiana. Before that, he was a U.S. Navy War veteran, worked in burglary and armed robbery, and worked undercover in narcotics and sex crimes. Now he serves as a homicide screening investigator for the district attorney. The mystery behind his mother's death has hung over him like a specter for most of his life. And his obsession with solving her murder drove him into a career filled with death, destruction, and justice. I'm Garnsey Sloan for Investigation Discovery. And this is Season 3 of Detective, True Stories from Behind the Yellow Tape the ones you don't hear on TV. This season, you'll get to know Detective Demery, not only his professional accomplishments, but also the personal tragedies that shaped him. This episode, Blood.
2: From the very first homicide that I worked, I couldn't think about anything else. I was constantly thinking about what I could do to shore up my case or to to make it better or find out who did it. There was never a time when I wasn't thinking about it. It It was an obsession.
1: Why can't you turn it off?
2: I don't think you should. It requires everything in your being, something that you can't. Postpone. There's no tomorrow. There's no, let's do this later. I think you do everything you possibly can until you pass out, and then you wake up and you start again until you get it done.
1: This approach has made Detective Demery a top investigator. But his success hasn't come without sacrifice.
2: It's difficult for me to understand how you can work or murder and look at your watch because you think you need to get home to dinner. You're concerned about that. You know, I I think those things need to be completely out of your mind. My consumption was working homicide.
1: What was the driving motivation behind pursuing these cases with such passion?
2: I felt like the person, the survivor, not necessarily the victim, but the survivor needed it. They needed me to do that. And I don't know that I had it in me to put them off or do something else or come back later or even fail. And I think that came from the fact that I know what it feels like.
1: Rod's mother was killed when he was a young child. He didn't know much about the surrounding circumstances, but the event sparked an undying need to find justice for his mother and others.
2: When I think about the case that the police officers failed on my mother's murder... I don't think that I could ever do that. Maybe because I know the outcome or the emotional fallout. I think everybody has a role. And if your role is to work a murder case and solve a murder case, then you should work it and solve it. Sometimes I like to say that I was so devoted because of what happened to my mother and what my family experienced. But I don't know I I mean, that's probably part of it, but there was something that was driving me.
1: On May 8th, 1969, Rod's mother, Barbara Sue Demery, was shot to death in Sweeney, Texas. She left behind three-year-old Rod and his five-year-old brother, Patrick.
2: I think Patrick was responsible for a lot of the nurturing of me. You know, of course, my grandparents were great, but my brother was... Uh, He's a little over the top. He's a really emotional kind of guy.
1: So, he was five when your mom passed, and you were three? I was three. What does he talk about when he remembers your mom from the age of five?
2: I think his most vivid memories were of her funeral, and uh, he, he told me about that when I was a kid. He remembers living in Louisiana where I don't. He remembers what my mother looked like you know, where I don't. He would always tell me the same story over and over again because it was the only one he remembered. He was a lot more in touch with it than I was.
1: How old were you when you first
2: started to ask questions? God, <laughs> I was an adult. Uh, you weren't
1: 9, 10, 11 years old? No,
2: no, no. Of course, I was aware of, of what happened. And, and I Did
1: was, you know the full circumstances no, at that point? You just no, knew that your no. mom had, been, had
2: no, I knew died my or, had, young. I knew my mother had been murdered.
1: Oh, you Um, did know that?
2: Yeah, but I didn't know the circumstances or why or how or or anything.
1: Barbara Demery was living with her new husband, Jerry Armstead, in Sweeney, Texas, when she was murdered. She was in her early 20s, and he was in his late 30s. The boys couldn't go with their mother, and they weren't able to go live with their dad. So Rod and Patrick had been left behind with their great-grandparents. Both were told that their mother was killed in a burglary gone wrong. They would only get the real story of what happened much later,
2: that Jerry pulled the trigger.
1: How did she end up meeting someone 18 years her senior?
2: You know, I I don't know. Um, And and growing up, you know, I'd heard very few stories about him. But as I got older and, and, and wiser, it just seemed to be an advantage for him. This is only my opinion, but um, you know she's a young, naive girl, and I think he probably fascinated her with things that she didn't know. And I find that to happen a lot, especially in my work. You know, I find where older men or men that, that are at an advantage exploit the disadvantages or the inexperience of younger women. And I think that was his thing. My mother was a beautiful young girl. You know, he was. 39 years old, and uh, I think he probably felt some sort of esteem from that, and I think he probably could exercise a certain level of authority that he probably couldn't with a woman that was close in age to him.
1: When Rod's grandfather passed away, the loss of an opportunity to ask him any more questions drove Rod to begin searching for answers about what really happened to his mother.
2: I went down to camp to where my mother was buried. But the person at the church couldn't tell me where she was buried because there was no 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 headstone there. And they searched through all the records, and they couldn't find any. So I was walking around the cemetery aimlessly trying to find this, this grave or this grave marker or something, and it's just it's not very well kept. And I started getting frustrated. And um, I started to search just what I could on her and try to find out the circumstances of the murder. Then I found uh, the woman who was a friend of my mother back then. She told me about Nelson, the guy who was uh, my mother's boyfriend at the time, I guess.
1: It appears that Barbara was in a relationship with someone other than her husband, Jerry, at the time of her murder. We don't know if she and Jerry were still together, or if they had ended things before she began this relationship. When did you start to formulate the opinion, based on all of your years in homicide, that this third-party possibility, this idea of Nelson and a potential affair that your, your mom may or may not have been having with Nelson could have been a motivating factor in her murder.
2: As soon as I knew he existed, bells went off. I knew it was probably some sort of love triangle or some sort of passionate domestic violence type murder.
1: Rod quickly started to look at Jerry as a suspect in his mother's murder.
2: I was suspicious of Jerry early on, because one of the police reports I got talked about how the police were actually called to their house because Jerry had beat her with a stick. And when I read the police report, it was very descriptive. And it it said that said that he um, hit her or beat her with a stick that was used to prop up a window.
1: Was that a separate incident?
2: That was a separate incident. So... At that point, I started to realize that there was some sort of violence going on in the home. And my thought then was really leaning towards domestic violence type homicide. Unfortunately, that's not uncommon. You know, they they escalate. And in my mind, I kind of figured that it was a a progression. I think it probably starts off with the yelling and screaming and then eventually the threats and then physical abuse and then ultimately homicide. So I knew the the steps that, that those types of things took. So it was, it was pretty easy for me to formulate you know, some sort of theory of what happened.
1: Once Rod uncovered the police report from his mother's murder investigation, the pieces started falling into place.
2: The police chief had written a report. I think that was probably the most troubling part of the, the police report because the police chief kind of appeared to be familiar with Jerry and to the point where he was just trying to make sure it just didn't blow up, try to figure out how they can fix it without Jerry going to prison, them having to deal with the murder or anything of the sort.
1: Did Jerry have a relationship with the chief of police of Sweeney, Texas?
2: Oh, yeah. Jerry had a, a huge personality and um, he had a friendship with the chief of police back that era. And this is actually what the clerk told me. That was the time when women didn't have very many rights. They were somebody's property. That's you know, about the time the Equal Rights Amendment and you know things like that were talked about. So I was familiar with the time. And um, you know, when a guy doesn't have intellectual quality of the woman that he's with or he can't impress her enough for her to just have a natural respect for him, they resort to violence. I mean, it's bullying. I mean, you're bigger, you're stronger, and you can make her do what you want to do. And unfortunately, it goes on a lot today, but I think it was... Pretty common then, just the uh, the way things were, I guess.
1: From the police report, what could you understand about the circumstances of your mother's death?
2: Well, immediately I realized that there was not a homicide investigation. Um, it was basically Jerry telling the police chief that he killed his wife, and the police chief having some sort of a some sort of understanding of of how these things happen. You know, and not necessarily wanting to investigate or even prosecute him for that matter.
1: Was he ever charged?
2: Yeah, he was charged. He was actually charged with murder without malice. Translation to today's terms, it's uh, manslaughter, basically involuntary manslaughter for that matter.
1: Was he sentenced?
2: No, he, uh, yeah, well, not really. He was um, given five months probation.
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: I think charging him with murder without mouths was basically saying that he believed that there was a burglar in the house and he just started shooting. And that was his explanation. But had they done a a homicide investigation, they would realized it was just a straight-up murder.
1: What else did Detective Demery find in that police report? And what happens when he confronts Jerry face-to-face? We have the recording of that encounter next. After years of wondering what really happened to his mother, Barbara, Detective Demery decided to investigate it for himself. And once he found the police report, he discovered that her death had not been an accident, as the man who shot Barbara, her own husband, had claimed. What told you that?
2: Well, the fact that she was shot nine times is the first thing. The second thing was that there was a history of domestic abuse. There was a history of... uh, of relationship issues, you know, some of the things that are just glaring. As a homicide investigator, the first thing you look for is things that just don't fit and, and things that do fit. And in this case, if you have a woman that's murdered, the first suspect is going to be her husband. Um, the second thing is, is what type of history do they have? Well, they have a tumultuous history. Those things just kind of fall into place. And if you remove either one of those ingredients, then it's not doing police work. It's it's borderline corruption, actually.
1: What does being shot nine times tell you?
2: It's just rage. When someone fires a gun that many times, it's rage. I guess the other explanation is is, uh, the threat's still coming at you. But clearly, she wasn't a threat. So the only thing left is his rage. The motivations, the reasons why, it's just uh, crystal clear.
1: The gun he shot her with, did it have nine rounds?
2: It did. He fired every round that the gun chambered. I think probably the most disturbing thing of the police report is uh, Jerry paid his attorney with that firearm.
1: That's right. He paid for his murder defense with the murder weapon.
2: Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's just...
1: Incredible. Yeah, yeah. What happened with the police departments back then that that gun would have not been a piece of evidence in an evidence room?
2: There was a lot of lack of care and concern and more manipulation than anything of a crime scenes, of, of investigations or whatever. In the police report, it talks about how Jerry approached the chief of police and uh, how the chief of police took him back to the crime scene and they left the firearm in the vehicle that Jerry drove up in I think there was a patrol officer that was supposed to come watch the vehicle, but there was no chain of custody. So the gun was actually never taken into custody. And you don't hear any other mention of the firearm until he transfers ownership over to his attorney. The thing that jumped out immediately to me that she wasn't a threat was the first is that the the shots were into her back. It's just not police work.
1: Another big piece of the puzzle was the autopsy report.
2: And the second was they described an area of her hand called a snuff box. That's between the thumb and the pointer finger, the little web area. And there was a, a gunshot there. Well, that suggests that she had her hands up when he was uh, firing the weapon. So it wasn't difficult for me to understand what happened. I knew the whole anatomy of the murder. I knew what happened. The questions I had were, why did the system fail so miserably? And I guess maybe that wasn't really a question because I knew the time. It it just wasn't something that uh, I was completely shocked by, but it wasn't something I was willing to accept.
1: The only thing left was to go talk to Jerry himself. One of the most remarkable parts of the story is the fact that Jerry had just had a heart surgery when you decided to contact him. I mean, the timing of that is really remarkable that you got to him before he passed. Did you just have a sixth sense that he, was, he wasn't he was going to make it?
2: Well, yeah, I figured he was old. He was uh, wretched. I said, this guy's not going to be here much longer.
1: How did you muster the strength to face the man that you knew took your mother's life?
2: I don't know. I think my curiosity and... Um, all the unanswered questions was probably more of a motivator than, than anything else. Yeah, I don't know, it's just this little broken man, you know. The anguish on his face, everything about his body language said he was nervous.
1: Detective Demery videotaped his visit with Jerry Armstead. This is the actual audio from part of that recording. It's hard to hear in many places. They were in Jerry's hospital room with the television on in the background.
2: Uh, my, my grandmother and my best friend never told me a whole lot about my mom. They didn't tell me a whole lot. They told me that she stayed out here with my miss. I mean, but what what kind of what kind of girl was she? I mean, what's she what she liked to do? I mean, what? Hmm. I never knew nothing about her, you know. Nobody nobody ever really told me a whole lot about her. Well. I know she was a pretty girl. I saw a couple pictures of her.
3: She liked to dance. She liked to have fun. Oh. Never to be tired then which I never did tired then. Oh. but I never did like to stay out all
1: night long. Jerry says several things on the tape that indicate he and Barbara weren't living together, but it's unclear whether they had actually broken up. He does say that she had quote, "got herself somebody else." He tells Demory that the night of the murder, he had taken some pain medicine and gone to sleep.
3: So to break in there. Well, I have-
1: this part fits what Jerry told police at the time, that he thought that there were two men trying to break into the house, and he felt he had to protect himself.
2: I saw the, the autopsy report. Huh? I said I read the autopsy report. I got that from the police police department in uh-huh.
3: Texas. Oh, uh-huh. Angleton, Texas. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how it went
2: then. she shot nine times.
3: But well, nine millimeter, he had nine. He was automatic. hmm And I just healed the tree. Yeah.
1: Not possible. Rod told us you can't shoot a gun like this, like that. It's not an automatic. You have to squeeze the trigger every single time.
3: I don't know who, you know, I could have seen who it was. I was in the days, you know, they took the medicine and all that, and I was in the days. I. Don't,
1: and then he starts crying.
3: They was so hard. You know, it wasn't my intention. I, I don't like that.
1: And in that last part, Jerry says, "You know, it wasn't my intention to hurt her." Don't you ever think it was my intention? What's the most remarkable moment of that interview that stands out to you to this day?
2: I think it was the the point where he told me that he didn't mean to do it i didn't I didn't challenge that, even though I knew I, I didn't challenge it.
1: But Rod the interrogator would have said, "Come on, Jerry, you shot her nine times in the back."
2: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, maybe. I think that well, what I've learned about interrogation is that it usually works better when you're non-judgmental, when you just want to hear what they got to say, because they really want to tell you. When you make it a contest of trying to pull out what someone has inside of them, you're always going to lose that. They're going to tell you what they want to tell you anyways. You know, I think your best hope is to offer an ear and realize why you're there. And you know, that's that wonderful ability to compartmentalize you know because i knew why i was there to talk to jerry and it wasn't berate him or tell him that you know you killed my mom it's not it i wanted answers and i needed to suspend all that emotion and impulse and just get the answer that i was looking for at least the closest thing to the truth that i could get
1: you wonder if he wasn't saying i really didn't mean it to ease your heart and i wonder if you were really believing him to ease his pain
2: I think you probably said he really didn't mean it to uh, not face who he was. It was all about Jerry. I don't know that he could explain to himself or reconcile in his mind that this woman doesn't want me. And um,
1: Do you think he knew about Nelson?
2: Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely sure he did. I think Jerry... Uh, I had completely lost control of my mother and she made up her mind to leave and he was not going to have it. And he couldn't control her. Uh, It's just that simple. And I think his rage took over. He had the means, he had the ability, certainly had the the temperament to just uh, stop her from whatever he thought she was going to do to him.
1: Next time on Detective.
2: My brother and I had talked on the phone, and the next day he showed up in my apartment, and he was covered in blood. And um, I let him in, um, and I asked him what happened. He said he killed somebody. I said, oh,
1: I Detective is part of the Panoply Network and was made for America's leading mystery and suspense network, Investigation Discovery. By DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound insanely cool. It was produced by Mylon Fitzwater Barrows, with help from Stephanie Wilkes. Production oversight by producers Emily Kaiser and Elizabeth Stevenson, and executive producers Amy Angelowitz, Garnsey Sloan, and Lorna Thomas. It was recorded by Chip Sovek, Additional recording and mix by Kenneth Gilbert. Original music was composed by Chris Kennedy. Cover art was designed by Anand Galat. Special thanks to Detective Rod Demery for sharing his story with us, as well as Sean Barrows, Anastasia Brown, Judy Fitzwater, Hillary Heskett Shapiro, Heather Holloman, Sam Sneebly, Ash Sevilla, and Dallas Taylor. Subscribe on iTunes to get new episodes of Detective on your feed. And if you like the podcast, rate and review it. Check out Detective Rod Demery's new television show, Murder Chose Me, only on Investigation Discovery. I'm your host, Garnsey Sloan. Thanks for listening.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,